Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast that breaks down interpersonal science into practical and understandable tidbits. And as you listen, I can just imagine little light bulbs of insight appearing above your head. Absolutely. You're going to be surprised and touched at what you learn about yourself as you get more accurate and in-depth view of your mind and your heart, and as you figure out those close to you. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly. And I'm Sue Marriott. And we are just popping on really quickly for a quick little bonus episode because we we really couldn't not. We felt compelled given the circumstances in the United States and the impact that it's having on us. And we know those close to us in our community and on the United States itself with the hotlines blowing up, the rape crisis centers, the trauma centers. This is having a bigger impact than even during the Me Too movement. And by this, what we mean is for those of you that might be popping on at a later time, we just finished observing the hearings, the Judiciary Committee hearings in the U.S. Senate for the confirmation of Judge Brett Kavanaugh, where Dr. Christine Blasey Ford gave testimony accusing Judge Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her in high school. And what is so powerful about it and why we wanted to come on and talk about it is that it is resonating. It is people are vibrating about this across the country. And I'm sure it's gone beyond this country. We want to talk about it in relation to it's basically the nervous system in the news not from a political perspective. That's not why we're getting on. It's you're seeing attachment. You're seeing people's bodies. And what I think is nervous systems are affecting other nervous systems. And we want to describe a little bit about what we think is happening and why that so why that so many people are so upset, even though we don't know these particular actors that are on not actors, but people, but I mean, the actors in the system that we're seeing on TV. But people can feel it as if it's their own. And we want to say a little bit about why we think that's happening, but then also about what the larger picture is and what we have. We have some ideas about what's happening there as well. Yeah, to watch. Oftentimes we're reading about these things in the news and we're reading about things that happen in a a hearing. But to actually hear the testimony and see the faces and hear the voices, as you said, it's neurobiology in the news. We can feel it and resonate in our system. And what is happening, you mentioned earlier that the hotlines are blowing up. And with uh, Dr. Ford's testimony of the sexual assault and the clear way she's able to to relate what happened to her and, in, in my opinion, courageous way to be able to get up in front of a nation, it was clear that she did not want to do this but felt compelled to do this and... Um, how difficult it must be to talk about sexual assault in such a public forum. But the manner in which she did it, I think, really impacted so many of us listening. So we're going to play a clip 
from C-SPAN where that a woman gets on and shares her experience. And the reason we're going to do this is because it's going to give you a feel for what's happening, what we're hearing in our offices and what many people are experiencing. And then we're going to say a little bit about why we feel like that her testimony in particular is affecting people in this way. And again, what some of the bigger picture is. I'm a 76-year-old woman who was sexually molested in the second grade. This brings back so much pain. I thought I was over it, but it's not. You will never forget it. You get confused and you don't understand it, but you never forget what happened to you. Without my family, I would never have been able to go through this. And now I'm 76 years old, and I thought I was over it until I heard that happened to someone else. And it is just, it is such a shame. Brenda, how old were you at the time? I was in the second grade, and it was a seventh grader at my school. And, you know, on rainy days, they have you march around the school because back then because they couldn't let you out. And I would see him, and I would get so upset and get so upset. I've had a weight problem my whole life because I was so afraid that someone was going to hurt me. And I'm married. I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful husband and a child and great great grandchildren and grandchildren. And I've thought I was over this. And I have not brought this up for years until I heard this testimony. And it is just breaking my heart. <laughs> so, wow, that is the intensity that has been happening all over the United States and probably further after listening to Dr. Ford's testimony. And that's not just Brenda's story. She was very brave to call C-SPAN and give that story. And you could see how much it impacted her to hear somebody else be brave and go forward and to recognize how it has impacted her throughout her life, even if she wasn't talking about it. But, you know, that's not just her story. That, that's our story. That could be my story, your story, really our mother's story, our brother's story. So as you hear that, that's so deep and impacting to think about that. And that's right. And I love how you say our mother's story, maybe our grandmother's story, our grandfather's story, our brother's story. One of the things is we want to take this out of a gender conversation. There are so many men sitting on this. And I think even in particular, there's also a class issue here. This happened in some of these elite Ivy League boarding school situations. And one of the conversations that's happening is that. And so there's a a sub conversation about all of the hazing that happens among men and young men that would never be spoken about. So not just in these elite hazing school situations where the very sexualized horror happens to these young men and and that will never be spoken about, but also, so again, we're saying it's not just women, but it's also not just sexual trauma. And so one of the things that I think is happening is that basically her testimony was so coherent and she was able to tell her story and elaborate on her story. She's clearly worked on it. She's done a lot of work on herself. She was able to share it, answer the questions, elaborate on the on the answers, but also really feel it. And you could feel the emotion. It was very believable. And, and you were saying earlier, it's very relatable, relatable. That's right. So that as people were listening, 
their mirror neurons were firing. Right. But then if you have any experience, it doesn't even have to be sexual abuse experience of being in a position of helplessness, in a position of being not believed, in a position of being humiliated. Feelings of domination. Feelings of domination, being the subject of sadism. Mm-hmm. Anything like that, then your amygdala and your implicit body is going to begin to vibrate and you're going to begin to have these feelings. So I think that one of the things that's happening is it was just enough where that you could feel the pain that that anybody that has had similar situations like that would begin to vibrate a little bit and feel it too. So if we take it out of gender and we take it out of sexual trauma, that is what I think is one of the things that is happening nationally. Uh, I really, really agree with you. And the ability, so many people that have had things like that happen to have feel like, oh, this shouldn't impact me. It's in the past. Or they are really nervous or hesitant to talk about it or believe, you know, it's in the past so that they shouldn't talk about it. So Dr. Ford's courageousness and feeling compelled to have to talk about it seems to free people up to say, this did happen. And really, it did impact me, which was that clip was so poignant about that. She was able to bring back something that happened in second grade to such a minute detail of walking in the hall. And you could feel that with her and speaking about memory. And let's continue to get even deeper, Sue, into the memory part of how she was able to remember such details, both Dr. Ford, both Brenda, of the the emotional moment that they can remember feeling the experience of terror or humiliation. So one of the things, and um, if you're a listener of the podcast, this will be familiar to you, but we have too many things coming in at us. We can't remember everything. So you have to have a cue to store it in long-term memory, but in particularly anything that is high threat or surprise, there's an emotional punch. So I'm punching my hand. When you have an emotional punch, then it's going to be stored differently. And it even feels different when you recall it. So she can remember and again, you can feel it's very credible, these these little pockets, you know, the, the laughter at her, the hand over her mouth where she thought that she, he might accidentally kill her. She didn't elaborate into a story or conflate it into a story that he was trying to murder her. It was credible. It was like he might, in his drunkenness, might accidentally smother me. But then the peripheral information where the, the hippocampus is online, just like how she got home later and things like that, that aren't, aren't the things how that are threatening, how she got with. there. Some of the details like that aren't going to be stored because those weren't where the, the, where the, the emotional punch was. So an example of this, if that's, if that doesn't quite resonate with you, like where you were when Elvis died, and this is the, and we're going to date ourselves in our ages here, where you were when Princess Diana died. You weren't there, I'm sure, but when you heard that Princess Diana died, where you were when 9-11, when you heard about 9-11. That one I can remember just to such detail, where I was sitting, how I felt, what was happening in the room. I couldn't tell you how I got to work that day. Right. I couldn't tell you what I ate. I could tell you nothing, but I could tell you the moments of when I heard that. Do you remember where you were when Elvis died? That one, I can be honest with you, I don't. Okay. What about, do you remember Princess Diana? A little bit, a yes, little bit. yes. And then, what about when the Challenger exploded? Yes, I remember that. I think those are the ones that felt the, mo- the really poignant to me. I can remember the the moment of getting the information and how it felt. But again, well, that's what I mean, though. Yes, when you got the information, that's Absolutely. what I mean. That's and totally the, what I mean. And the punch in the gut. But again, I couldn't remember anything around it. Right. I could just remember that moment. So when people are saying, "But if you can't remember this and this and this." 
How could you remember that moment? And we wanted to help people understand that. Right. Because it's really weird because it's not traumatic. We didn't have a personal relationship per se with Princess Diana. And obviously, this is different when you're actually embedded when you live in New York, when you worked in the buildings. I'm talking about someone who didn't live in New York, just heard about it. Even that was enough of a punch where that it's frozen. I know exactly where I was. I know even the direction I was facing in the room. You know what I mean? Like it's that is an example of how my amygdala popped and stored it. The angle of light. I mean, I can remember it exactly. And that is for our survival benefit. We need to encode something that creates a sense of that amount of threat in our body so that our body can prepare to say, my God, this is not safe. So then our body encodes this and prepares us to protect us in the future. It doesn't protect us on how we got to work that day when we heard 9-11. It protects us of that is a very traumatic event. You need to encode this. You need to have it go in your body and anything that is familiar or similar or too threatening like that can bring that memory up to affect us. And I think that's how you could see and feel when you're hearing Dr. Ford or Brenda's stories. We hope that as we're talking about this, that you might have your own non-traumatic experiences, but where that you can remember. It might even be your seventh grade birthday party where everybody jumped up from behind tables and went, surprise! You know what I mean? And you can remember exactly putting your hands over your mouth and like... (gasps) you know, that that moment. And we're trying to just give you that feeling of like, that's what that feels like versus, you know, what did you have for breakfast this morning? And that type of memory feels different. Now, also one other point on that, or maybe two more points. If somebody is bullying, and it's not really a big deal to them. So they're walking through the hall, and they steal your hat, and they put it on their head. And they just walk on. But to you, that was your favorite hat, and and that was a humiliating experience. You're going to remember that. Right. And it's going to store differently. But let's say six years later, you confront that person and say, you stole my hat. Yeah, you see them at your reunion. Right, exactly. And they're going to, they likely might not actually remember only because it's not because they block it out. It's really because it wasn't that important to them. So it doesn't get stored. So it's plausible that when a person in power really doesn't remember because it's just not even that significant. It doesn't give them that jump, which takes us right back to one of the most important points that we wanted to talk about today about looking at these things, not politically and not politically, not gender, but about power and looking at two nervous systems interacting from a position of power. Right, right. And and when you watch Judge Kavanaugh, you could see he even walked in with a sense of, obviously he was in threat as well, and obviously scared why any both of them would be in that situation. The difficult thing is you could see that individual's response in threat to go to a deeper, to a sense of domination, to a sense of indignation, to a sense of how could this be happening to me? And for those of you that have been listening to the podcast, that may sound very familiar. How do you, how are you accusing me of this? And the place of even seeing his facial expressions. So his sympathetic system was on fire. Right. So he wasn't going vagal, ventral vagal. He was going into a fight flight. For those of you that are new to the podcast, ventral vagal, what we're talking about is there's ways that you respond to threat. And one of them, if you go what we terminate ventral vagal, it's you're responding to it, but you're staying relational and you're staying connected. So you're aware of your own threat, you're aware of your own fear, but you also are aware of the other person. Another way to respond is drop all the way down 
and to respond to a threat where you disconnect and you are about your own self-survival and you can see that there's not a connection. Instead, there's a defense, there's attack, even the T that I know there's been a lot of pictures of Judge Kavanaugh's face. The reason that is, is you can see the look of disgust, despair, but it is an attacking kind of approach. And what is interesting about that, as you listened and watched that, what happened to to most of our body is that it felt attacking. It did not promote a connection or a desire to hear his plight because it was so attacking. That's such an interesting point. That's right. So it was not about relatedness. Right. And again, we're just talking about nervous systems here. But if you were to freeze frame in his testimony, you'll see grimaces, you'll see teeth bared, you'll see the brows. And then also, even if you just look at the testimony, and we're going to put this in the show notes, where that somebody broke down their answers and whether or not they answered, her answers were elaborative and answered. His were defensive, despairing, combative. And this is not my subjective opinion or Anne's subjective opinion. It is just the analysis. So we can, we're not judging that. What we're saying is think of the nervous system. This is the nervous system on the news. And what we're saying is if we can begin as human beings, we're not moralizing. What we're saying is we want to promote healthy relating. And she had, I think clearly she talked about being in therapy. She has done a lot of work on herself and she had a healthy nervous system that was relating and the country could feel it and and it's and it's spreading and then then what we're seeing in him is he dropped down and he's using more primitive defenses and he's scared of being I don't want to interpret it exactly but basically it, it's using these more primitive win or lose win or lose top right. or bottom and it's almost as if he loses, then he loses everything, Well, and which some is people, literally what he was saying. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. It was some people would say he was losing everything. So, of course, he was going to be in a threat response. Yes. But what we're trying to say is that a threat response can stay relational, a threat response going down into then a power dynamic. And that's our larger concern. This We're just seeing... This incredible thing happened in front of us in the Judiciary Committee as symbolic, as, as a symptom, really, of what we've been seeing in the nation that makes us really compelled to come on. And that is somehow the use then, or the belief that the one that can maintain the power over. Yes. And, and that's the role that we need in this country is somebody who's strong if they're power over, if they're standing above you, if they're dominating but that is actually not what is going to promote security inside ourselves. Or not- even it doesn't promote security in the person that's power over because they know it's temporary. <laughs> that's a really important point. It's, it's, it's not- Yes, yeah, somebody's about to go topple them. <laughs> it, that's a, such a good point. So it, it, in that kind of power, it is temporary. And that's the point about something being over and under. If something is over and under... It's always a temporary place. And so whether it's our country, whether it's us as individuals, so remaining in that place to say, I'm threatened, so I get to go above you and dominate and ins- is not what's going to promote security within ourselves, our country. Our country, community, our relationships. And I think that is the fear that I we also saw. Not only was the sexual abuse hotline happening, we had the secondary trauma happening right along with it. And that is, 
is the power over going to take over our very important system right now, our judiciary system, our Supreme Court. We, as as a country, we need to see leaders. It's just like we need to see parents. We need to see leaders that are connected and relational to themselves and to be able to feel the safety that we can trust them with these major decisions. And so what we're concerned about, both with our executive branch and if it moves into our judicial branch, where what the primary role is to be dominating and somewhat mocking, and that was also a concern, some of the mocking that happened in defense. Well, do you do this? And it was painful (laughs) to watch. And again, I think I would feel this way no matter who was sitting in the seat, not whether it was a, a, a liberal or conservative. Our concern is the threat we're feeling is that we could give a sense, give a sense of our country away to this primary sense of domination and personal power rather than our ability to be relatable, connected. And that's the kind of power we need to see in our community. And I love you calling it power, Anne, because actually relatedness and connectedness is power that lasts. Yes. And it shares power and everybody rises. Everybody rises with that kind of power. Right. And everybody wins. So our invitation is to look for that kind of power and to find that kind of power in you and all of us that have been injured by that kind of power that we keep speaking out and we band together and we insist on it. And when I'll tell you, the other thing is that I've seen and I have experienced is when there's a power over person, they will try to humiliate you and they will use humiliation because of the you know, what they'll call it is softness and that kind of connection. Mm -hmm. And I saw it on the Ted Cruz debate with Beto O'Rourke, where that there was, he was trying to humiliate him when he was going more connected, when O'Rourke was going more connected. And at the time I didn't understand what I was seeing and I felt embarrassed for O'Rourke. And then I finally, when I got it, I was like, oh, that's what that is. And I feel like if we can identify that it's, and we can think of it even within our own bodies, the left brain wants to be in charge and wants to know what's going on. And sometimes because it has more words, it, it wants to dominate the right brain and the connectedness. And so because it's, it's scared, it's scared. So if we can just hang together and understand and find the words and spread the word about this connectedness and this relationality is power. And of course, it needs to join with the left, we need to be integrated Oh, there's the right and the left. <laughs> the, <laughs> I think we're talking about green, if you've listened to the, Well, but also I was thinking of the of politics, right? Oh, yes. yes <laughs> we need to bridge the divide. We, we need to do. be integrated. Oh, my gosh, it all just came together. <laughs> Boom, mic drop. But um, yes, it is about integration. So please share this, share these ideas. I'm sure that they're not new, but this is so important. And thank you, Anne, for that, because that was just awesome. Oh, and I love how you put it, the the sharing. This is not trying to put one party down over the other. This is how we need to come together. And honestly, some of the things that they're saying that is being generated by things outside of our country is about creating fear that we can't trust our country. And so we do see the polarization of the left and the right right now saying, we don't trust you, we don't trust you, we don't trust you. And our advocacy is to come together that we actually stay relatable and talk about our different points not belittle each other, to not stand above one, God literally, 
that image is really still seared in my mind during the presidential debate, but that we really try to push not only ourselves, but to advocate for any politician, anybody that we need any to support Any healthy us. nervous system. If you yes. see a healthy nervous system. Support it. It is not about a Republican Democrat. We need a system that can stay relatable. And that means that they can feel the threat in their own body, but stay connected to the other person. Want not to go power over, but want to be influencers. That's right. We want to they influ- can listen. Mm-hmm. We absolutely have to have somebody, especially on this seat, that can listen and remain connected. All right. Well, that is awesome. And thank you for letting us jump in here on this little bonus episode. We couldn't help ourselves. We were just bursting. And we really appreciate you listening. We got a lot more coming at you. Yes. And nervous system in the news. Nervous system in the news. All right. Take care and we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Jack Anderson.